Having Phil Maffetone on the show is a huge honor. Phil has shaped so many of my personal athletic pursuits and success when it comes to recovering from burnout, overtraining, and endless niggles. Further to that, his work and research has shaped who I am as a coach and how I deliver programs to my athletes. He's done that through his 20 plus books, podcast interviews, and online content, as well as his generous donation of time via Skype consultation. Phil is a clinician, a coach, an innovator, and he was a pioneer in the, in the 70s, warning against high sugar and carbohydrate diets while everyone else was focused on steering away from fats. He has worked with a vast array of professional and age group athletes, most notably to this audience, would be six-time Ironman Hawaii world champion Mark Allen and more recently Ironman world champion Pete Jacobs. As is my aim of this podcast, I wanted to discuss key topics with Phil that are less talked about in the endurance arena. And on today's podcast, we cover what is MAF training, the stumbling blocks involved with MAF, longevity in sport, immunity, and the importance of MAF for wellness and happy hormones for the guys and girls alike. I hope you enjoy. You've done all the right things. You followed the program, but you're tired and the results are hard to come by. You know there has to be a better way. Perhaps you're struggling to put the puzzle pieces together. From training, recovery, nutrition, gut health, to hormone health and optimal wellness. Each season on Healing Grumpy Athletes podcast, your host, Katie Pettuccini from Holistic Endurance, will help put the puzzle pieces together and ensure you can achieve and express your athletic potential holistically. Katie is a self-confessed hormone nerd, endurance coach, wellness advocate, and triathlete, here to educate, inspire, and distill wisdom in an effort to shift up endurance norms. Grab yourself an almond latte, a herbal tea, or perhaps a red wine to focus your mind and enjoy the show. All right, everyone, we have a special guest on the Healing the Grumpy Athletes podcast today. We have Phil Maffetone. If you're not familiar with his work, I will link you to previous podcasts and his articles, website, blog, etc., so you can get the background. But the purpose of today is to get deeper into some specific topics that haven't been touched as much by Phil, which we noted is very hard to do, as Phil has spoken about so many areas of health and performance and how they integrate within our community and he's done an incredible job over the last two decades of having an impact on our industry so i'm truly honored to have you here phil thank you hi katie thank you great to be with you now there will be some people listening to the show who are unfamiliar with what you've termed the MAF approach. So you can just start with a basic background of what does MAF stand for and what it is. MAF stands for maximum aerobic function. And it's really the, the foundation of being healthy and fit. Um, we're familiar with the aerobic system or, or we think we're familiar with it. Um, it's those red muscle fibers that allow us to move relatively slow versus sprinting. And um, those, those muscles are red because of certain pigments, um, but they're also red because there's a lot of blood supply that goes through 
through these muscles. Uh, the red muscle fibers in the body, the aerobic muscles, are a, a huge part of our circulatory system. So, of course, the heart and lungs are part of that as well. And um, those muscles more than move us. They, they give us energy from burning fat. Um, they are a big part of the immune system um, and so on and so forth. So the, the, the system of developing maximum aerobic function is a way that we can uh, get optimally healthy and fit. That's a great summary. And I think the two key points that you brought up there was it enables that fat burning potential as well as protecting your immunity. So if you can you describe to listeners the importance of that in the context of, say, an area that you're very passionate about is preventing overtraining? Sure, that's a that's a, a, a primary factor in preventing overtraining, having a good aerobic system. Because when we develop the aerobic muscles and the heart and lung and we don't trash our immune system or our gut, which is another big uh, part of the equation, um, we can tolerate hard workouts much better. We can benefit from hard workouts much much better as well, and racing. Um, and so um, the problem with overtraining is that people don't tolerate what they're doing. They don't tolerate their training. They don't tolerate racing. And that stress accumulates it builds up and it tears the body down it slows recovery and uh, we then have this state of overtraining which is um, for many people it, it's confusing uh, it it's a spectrum uh, it's not one thing like um, you know like having heart disease it's a um, spectrum that begins in a very subtle way and it goes on and becomes a more serious problem that most people think of as overtraining where you run down, you can't get out of bed in the morning, you really don't want to race, uh, your heart rate's uh, really high, you're sick and run, you know, it, it, it's, it's much, uh, you, you want to catch it much earlier than that because you, you can prevent it. That is the ultimate to prevent and be aware of, of warning signs before it gets too dire because I've experienced it, my athletes have experienced it, and I know listeners of this show will have experienced it, but there's a, a certain period of denial that's all too common, but there's also the issue of right. not being aware of, of the symptoms and paying recognition exactly. to the, them. The denial is a big is a big factor. We've all been there. I've, I've been there. I, I've learned by doing it wrong. Um, and then what you mentioned, the signs and symptoms, that's the clue um, that, that uh, you know, there are many clues, but the, the clue is to see the red flag when it comes up. And, and a lot of those red flags are quite obvious once we, once we talk about them and people say, oh, yeah, I've experienced that. Yeah, so other than raising awareness and talking about it, what do you find or is the greatest hint and tip you give to athletes and coaches to be, uh, be aware of those red flags? Well, the, the, I think the most obvious one and the most powerful one from the standpoint of um, being objective and, and being um, uh, just being 
probably the one at the top of, of my list, is a reduction in submax exercise. So if you're if you're training um, and you know that at a at a heart rate of one forty you could run at a certain pace, um, that pace should increase, should improve as we build the aerobic system. But if all of a sudden that pace starts to plateau or or worsen, if we start getting slower at the same heart rate, that's obviously a problem, and that's that is a, a, a very, very effective, um, perhaps first sign of overtraining, the earliest, the earliest stage of overtraining, which is that first um, of three stages where um, the signs and symptoms are pretty subtle. We, we, you know, in that, in that stage, we start seeing a little bit of fatigue. We start seeing maybe a little soreness if we're doing some hard, uh, training, some high intensity training, or if we're racing more, uh, we may feel some moodiness, we may feel more hunger, but that, that slowing down at the same heart rate um, is such a great uh, sign, and when we see that, we should just stop and reassess our entire, uh, not just our training program, but our diet and our lifestyle and all the stresses that surround us yeah definitely that's a key point and I, I find with athletes that that first session of the red flag where the pace is slower at their normal math or aerobic heart rate it's a signal to watch and listen because that day might have been super hot they might have had poor sleep highly stressed there might be hormone imbalance and so it might have been a, a once-off, but we still have to watch and listen to make sure that it is uh, a singular occurrence and not going to continue to get worse or stay the same and stagnate. Right, and and, it, and that's why it's important to, to monitor yourself regularly so you know, for example, uh, if you go out for a 10K run in the morning and it's a, it's a common workout for you and you track it with GPS and you, you have your heart rate um, there and um, you know about what kind of a pace you run uh, for that for that 10k and you you like I said before you should know that that pace is getting a little faster um, and so if all of a sudden you you see a a slow day yeah you're right you could have had um, a poor sleep quality you could have had uh, food. Um, the day before, the night before, that you're not used to having and therefore you don't work as well. You could have um, all kinds of um, relatively minor issues, certainly major ones too, but uh, that will influence that run. But if it happens the next day and then the next day, uh, you know you're, you're seeing something that requires your attention. Yeah, and for athletes and coaches to recognize that I find that it really requires a sense of presence and uh -huh. being mindful and I think that's where one of the stumbling blocks comes from because in society we are rushing everywhere and doing a thousand things at once it's easy to not notice the reduced sleep quantity reduced sleep quality 
or the accumulative effects of stress. And yeah, I, yeah, I certainly see that as one of the key undoings uh, leading to, to overtraining and, and worse. Yeah, training, you know, overtraining can be described as an accumulation of physical, biochemical, and mental, emotional stress. And so it doesn't always come from training exclusively. So overtraining is kind of a misnomer. Um, but if we're not eating well, we can't train as much. Um, and so it, it appears then that the training is causing this overtraining state, this, this bad situation. But it, it is, in fact, in many cases, the diet. Um, and certainly there's all the psychosocial stress um, in the athletic community. Um, there's mental, emotional stress. Um, you know, we have careers and we have to um, interact with people throughout our lives. And that sometimes is a source of stress. So the, the accumulation of things that don't go just quite right in our lives can, can, um, can be part of that overtraining process as well. Yeah, and the key summary there or the key takeaway I take from that is communication. If you're self-coach to monitor and track those changes and and give credit to the stressors in life beyond training, and if you're a coach or coached to communicate with each other about those stresses outside of training because they absolutely will impact I certainly find as a coach that's the hardest, one of the hardest things to get buy-in on if an athlete is struggling to, if they're stagnating at their math heart rate or aerobic capacity, but their training cannot progress until they, what I call, earn their stripes, fix their diet, de-stress, breathe properly, and all those things that can seem a little bit fluffy when people have come from a traditional approach and a culture of go hard or go home. So how do you tackle that? It's, it's uh, like you say, it's not an easy thing in, in many cases. Um, and what I, what I found worked for me earlier in my career um, is that many athletes came to me when I first got started in the, in the uh, in the seventies, um, and they were injured, and I had a I developed a reputation of, of being able to to fix people's injuries, um, and it, it, it wasn't anything special I had. I just learned um, the right tools and and how to assess athletes, and but what that did was the athletes were very impressed and. And it, it's, it made them think, well, if he could fix my knee, maybe he can help me train. And, um, and I had to help them train because I didn't want their knee problem to come back. So I was sort of in a situation where they would have done just about anything I said, <laughs> <laughs> which, which was nice. It made it easy. Um, uh, but as time went on... Um, I, I did more uh, 
more coaching and less treating um, and building a reputation or not, you still have athletes that have a, a an approach that they're familiar with and to get them to change that is not easy. Um, you know, we're in a, we're, it, it's not just in sports. We're in a society as a whole that has embraced no pain, no gain. And uh, my clinic when I was in practice was um, in the New York City suburbs. So I had a lot of New York City executives, a lot of Wall Street executives, a lot of high-powered people that um, had an insane life. And um, the, you know, their, their grasping of no pain, no gain was really no different than athletes uh, grasping no pain, no gain in relation to their training. And so you have to deal with that. And unfortunately, uh, many people have to go through that pain part before they say, hey, maybe there's a better way. Yeah, it's unfortunate that people have to go to that place of overtraining or burnout, life or training, uh, hormone imbalance and ill health to then see the light and turn things around. Hopefully over the, the years that will begin to change as your work becomes more common and people's... I feel there is a shift. I feel people are getting on the front foot and wanting to prevent ill health uh, to prevent poor performance because people are realizing that they go hand in hand that they're not separate from each other i certainly yeah yeah. i i I hope it's changing i think there are times when i see it changing and then um some famous athlete (laughs) does wonderful things and appears on all the covers of uh, magazines and front pages of newspapers and um he or she says well you just have to work hard every day. <laughs> and, you know, kids hear that and they don't forget it. Um, adults hear that too and they say, yeah, I've got to make up for lost time. And it's, a, it's an unfortunate thing, but, um, uh, you know, we, we, we do what we can. And we, we, you know, my goal is to, my goal has always been the same, which is to help people. I've done it different ways as the years have, have gone by um but it's really uh you know as as a coach or as a therapist we're not we're not doing things for people so much as we're convincing them to do things for themselves and that's a that's an important part of it and a lot of people uh the problem is that they want a pill Mm, they want a, a diet they want a training schedule. Um, well, we, you know, I don't have any of that stuff. Um, uh, you make your own diet. You make your own schedule based on your particular needs. This is a personalized thing. There's, it's not one size fits all. That's and, a huge message, definitely, for people yeah. to understand that the training that the person next to you is doing might be working for them it doesn't mean it's going to work for you and I think that's the most important thing to understand for those say training in big groups and trying to keep up with the pack and flogging themselves to do so doesn't necessarily reap the same rewards as the person next to you 
Right. And, and, and part of it, too, is helping people understand that we're humans. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, you know, humans are very unique. Um, we have this incredible brain. It, it's such an incredible brain that, well, let, let's not go not down go that down rabbit that hole. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such an incredible brain that we know what we should be eating and we know how we should be training. We know how we should be dealing with people uh, we don't like or we don't want to deal with. We know all this stuff. Humans have been doing this for millions of years. So what's going on? Why can't, um, you know, why can't we do that? I guess. And so that's, that's a big part of what I, what I try and help people with. Yeah, I guess yourself, myself, and people in the industry with this similar mission just need to be re- ready, willing, and able to assist those people when they are ready. We can't force and continually try and convince people need to come in their own time they get greater buy-in and therefore greater results that's certainly what i've experienced that there's no point trying to force someone into this if they're not uh ready right very important point and and um i learned that over and over again early in my career you know you spend all this time and energy trying to convince people to be healthy when they really don't want to be healthy they don't want to make the changes um and you know why have they come to see me if they don't i I never understood that but they do and um and that's that's a very important part of it yeah i just find that there's blockages and it takes time and everyone's a little bit different and i have athletes that might see the light in say four weeks so they do the a, a math pace test in week one and they train at math for four weeks and they hate it and it's slow and it's frustrating and you know they're having to put their ego aside and then they retest in four weeks with an improvement and that's all it takes for them and they've got buy-in and, and they continue but others I've you know have taken a year or two when they sort of sit in that half-hearted approach of I'm kind of doing this math thing and health thing but not really therefore I stay in a place of frustration and angst because I'm not improving because I'm only doing it half-heartedly yeah and then they say well you know math doesn't work because I've been doing it for a year and I'm no better I hear that a lot too but there's I think it's because people focus essentially they're like on the say the heart rate and the training aspect but they haven't addressed the stress and the breathing and the cortisol and the nutrition yeah that's a you know that's um that's important um maf is not a technique it's not like you know um um an interval interval type of um approach it's not a weightlifting program it's not a diet it's an open system it's how the human body works and so you can implement it in whatever it is you're doing um, whether you're a basketball player or a, um, a triathlete, uh, or you're into boxing or, or martial arts, um, because it just helps you monitor your, your, your health and fitness. And when something goes wrong, you know it because the signs and symptoms are there and, uh, you can measure so many things. And, um, so, uh, you know, do it. What I sometimes say to people is do anything you want in training, 
and and in diet, but here are some tools to to monitor yourself. Let's say if you actually get better as a human athlete, um, and if you don't, then whatever it is you're doing isn't working. Isn't working. Yeah, I find it's not a matter of if; it's a matter of when. In uh-huh. terms of the ill effects of overtraining or non-specific training and hormone imbalance we do need to protect ourselves on a in a proactive way and i wanted to ask you about say juniors coming up through the ranks and say even pro athletes peaking in their 30s particularly at ironman distance that's a a larger passion and interest for me that I find there's not enough education and around health and wellness and how it relates to performance. And there's just this singular focus on performance. Let's throw all these athletes top level up against a wall, see who survives and we'll take them through to the next level. That's a generalization and an extreme, but it's pretty accurate. (laughs) Yeah. In most situations. So from from the juniors on up, I mean, it's really sad, but it is accurate. Mm. So what can we do about it? Um, I've, <laughs> I've been trying to answer that question my whole career. Yeah. I, I think the only thing we have is education. And we have also people who have been through the process, who have made the mistakes, who have succeeded in coming out in, in, um, in, in a better state of health and fitness and we have those people to help us um, tell the story, but I think education is is really the key. Um, uh, you know, it, it's it, as soon as you see a one size fits all approach, um, run away. You know that things aren't aren't good, and that's a that's a good indication if you're if you're youngsters are in sports especially team sports um i'm not saying it's easy but uh everybody shouldn't go out for the same run at the same pace because the human body's not that way Mm. um and um the you know the no pain no gain being instilled in young people is um is a terrible thing to do and Overtraining does exist in in many young people, so um, don't assume that that uh, kids are immune to that. Yeah, I can't remember the exact stats at the moment, but I do know there were some studies done on Australian level junior triathletes and the female ranks, and there was a large percentage of drop off from say that top level age group going on to elite around the age of 18, 19. Uh And it was correlated with that change in hormones and therefore drop in performance when not managed properly. Right. And I I find that that's a key area of, you know, education that's missing around the effect of menstrual cycle and puberty and so many juniors say having delayed onset puberty. What do you see being the major the issues with that for, for jun- female juniors? Uh, the short answer is stress. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's physical stress, biochemical stress, 
mental emotional stress the physical part can be training it could be too much training either too much volume or too much intensity or both as is often the case um, it could be other physical problems such as wearing bad shoes um, having dental uh, problems having um, uh, you know s uh, sitting is a is a terrible thing for a young person and that's what they do most of the time because they're in school mm. um, so uh, the physical stress um, and then the physical stress of, of of training is a big big part of it but the biochemical part is diet and nutrition and if that's not uh, quite good then it's going to have an impact on the physical training aspect and now you've got two stresses acting together and then the mental emotional part and a lot of that is education you know we don't we don't realize it but if we're not understanding the body properly if, if we're not understand understanding what um, a rest day is from a physiological standpoint in general uh, or if we don't understand uh, the benefits of sleeping um, that's a, a a mental emotional stress uh, and of course uh, peer pressure if you're if you're a young um, a young athlete uh, peer pressure is a big potentially a big stress mm -hmm. as well um, and so it, you take the sum of all that stress, and um, uh, it it affects the brain. The brain then tries to adapt by stimulating uh, two things: one, a, 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 the start of a cascade of hormones, and two, the autonomic nervous system, the autonomic part of our nervous system, where we have a a balance of sympathetic and parasympathetic activity mm. and both those triggers produce increasing levels of stress hormones and all kinds of other things and uh, the downstream effects for example of uh, estrogen in a young girl um, or a you know a 12 13 14 year old girl or the downstream effects on testosterone in a, a girl or a boy, uh, the effects of thyroid hormones in, in boys and girls, mm. uh, is profound in, in many cases. So you have these end result uh, imbalances and as a result signs and symptoms and quite often the signs and symptoms are treated instead of backtracking the problem to its cause and addressing mm. that and so for those unfamiliar with how those hormone imbalances would manifest the low estrogen and the low testosterone what are the ongoing effects of that situation well it, the 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 effects are you'll delay um you know menarche you'll have menstrual irregularity you'll have muscle imbalance you'll have um, uh, you know you'll trigger other growth problems uh, in the body and the brain uh, this is not something we want to do with children um, of course it comes from the brain to begin with uh, that that stress hits the brain and the brain 
sends a message to the pituitary and says, fix this problem, and the pituitary sends a message to the adrenal glands, and the adrenal glands produce more cortisol. And the cortisol makes us a little stronger, makes us um, uh, adapt a little better. Uh, that mechanism initially, when we start training with higher volume and higher intensity in particular, um, is what helps us get better. But if we don't recover from that, then we're then we've started overtraining. So it's a it's a um, seemingly complex mechanism. It's relatively simple when you just kind of outline it. Um, stress hits the brain, uh, physical, biochemical, mental, emotional. The brain tells the body to adapt. We go into a kind of a fight flight type um, state in an attempt to adapt to, to those stresses and uh, we recover hopefully if we don't recover that's when we get in trouble yeah and I, I see that manifesting say as mood issues or decreased performance and poor concentration or uh, body compositional issues whether it's a unwanted weight loss unwanted weight gain or an inability to to lose when desired so or even lots of uh, high prevalence of stress fractures from yeah. that decreased estrogen so I, I yeah what we've spoken about in terms of education for the parents out there of junior athletes uh, Phil has some incredible articles on his website that I will link to and same for coaches I think there's a high level of responsibility there to become educated in all these factors beyond training zones and session prescription because that junior athlete's health and potential their long their longevity of life is in that coach's hands very much so it's a you know it's it's quality of life you know you're influencing the quality of life of this person and that's that's quite a responsibility. And from a sports standpoint, it's, it's really sad to see, you, you kind of touched on this before, it's sad to see how many athletes drop out of a sport mm-hmm. um, on every, every level, age group level and professional level. Um, and they just never, uh, in, in many cases, they just never reach their potential and it, it can get frustrating and um, injuries can hold them up, uh, feeling bad, uh, you know, the inability to, to improve performance. You know, humans should, by nature, improve their performance. That's what humans do. They get better and better from an endurance standpoint. Now, in sprinting, we you know we sort of hit a peak at twenty or twenty five, sometimes a little later, but we um, we don't hit uh, that kind of a peak uh, as an endurance athlete, which is really what humans are. They are by nature endurance athletes. We we can uh, do quite well uh, well into our forties uh, or fifties. As, as you know, some of the people I worked with um, achieved in, incredible feats um, uh, at those ages. So uh, 
you know, when you have to retire as a marathoner at age 30, uh, something went wrong. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I certainly worry about that end and, and the, the stories we don't hear about frequently that I certainly want to help bring to light and help people understand that the risk and reality of burnout and mood issues and poor concentration and retirement and injuries are very prevalent. We just don't hear about them because of course people don't want to necessarily tell the whole world or they feel like a failure or they haven't done something right. But they are important stories to tell to help the next generation of athletes coming coming through. And I Yeah, and I think part of it is that the, you know these these injuries or these um, bad signs and symptoms that many people are embarrassed to, to talk about um, although others are not. Um, it, what's important is that it means something is wrong and and I, I don't know why that's so difficult to understand. It means something is wrong. We're not we're not in the sport of boxing where we pound in <laughs> each other as hard as we could and we you know we cause bodily damage. We're not running at each other full speed and collide midfield. That's not the sport we're in. So when we have a situation where it's like we've been boxing or um, just played a hard game of, of rugby, um, but we haven't, it means something is wrong. Our body is damaging itself. And indeed, uh, the trauma of, uh, of an auto crash, for example, is not much different than the trauma of, uh, of training if you don't train right. Yeah, I mean, that's a, a significant point. I don't think people would ever think of it that way at all. And I find that because these symptoms, let's call them, are common, it's perhaps perceived as normal, and that's why they're not recognised. And uh-huh. I, particularly with menstrual cycle, uh, it... Unfortunately, I have found with female athletes, it can be celebrated with when they have that loss of menstrual cycle because it's one less thing to worry about. And I don't find there's enough education in that arena of this the sometimes severe consequence of that long term. Uh-huh. Yep. And I and it doesn't necessarily even have to be in the pro field, but even age group field uh, for women hitting their performance peak in their early 30s and mid 30s I see that as quite a concern for fertility but even like 20 year old athletes that I come across who uh, have had amenorrhea or loss of menstrual cycle or even an irregular menstrual cycle if they're not wanting to have children or that that's not a desire for them right at that point in life they're not worried about it Uh can you speak to the perhaps long-term or mid- term effects of that loss of cycle on fertility and but also general quality of of life even if they're not looking to have children sure um when your cycle stops when you no longer menstruate it 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 means there's a significant hormone imbalance um that doesn't happen easily uh so when it does happen there's a lot of bad stuff going on, uh, not just hormonally, but in the gut, the immune system, the brain, 
there's a, 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 a whole, just a whole spectrum of uh, abnormal functions throughout the body in, in all the systems. And so um, that's going to have an impact on many aspects of our health and many aspects of our fitness and uh, quality of life is going to start to go down and um, uh, all, just about anything can happen. You, you know, you look at fertility, that's one of many problems um, that we see in athletes, uh, it, it, in men and women, is the reduced fertility. Um, uh, brain function uh, in terms of um, memory and coordination, uh, gut function in terms of, um, you know, digesting uh, properly, uh, gut discomfort, um, muscle uh, problems, muscle imbalance causing pain and discomfort, uh, sleep irregularities, which, which then worsen the, the whole cycle even more. Um, oh gosh, we can go on <laughs> we and on. We can go on and on. You know, the, the, the problem is that if, if you're in this situation, again, male or female, but if you're in this situation, you go to your doctor and say, hey, uh, you know, I haven't had a, a period in six months. Um, unfortunately, what's often done is they're given um, medication mm. to help bring on a period. That's treating the end result problem, not treating the cause. And um, that's a terrible disservice. I, I agree. Um, so it, I, I, yeah. It's just, you know, we, we're in this society where that, you know, it's, it's one big chaotic thing where people go through this all this stress and then uh, they they see a professional to try and get help and it it's not helped it's just you know it's just it's just a terrible situation yeah it's important that people find the right practitioners that are going to dive into the cause and oh. underlying and the medication intervention say with the use of contraceptive pill to bring on a period i think um a key piece of information there is a period quote unquote on the pill is not a true period it's a withdrawal bleed it's not the normal process that our the female body is designed to go through and i, I find that that's not quite understood yeah uh, that's a very good point and um uh, another important point which you had mentioned before was communication and, and the the need for that doctor to communicate with that athlete and that athlete's coach uh, is very, very important. And that, of course, doesn't happen in almost all cases. Um, you know, it, it should be a team effort and let's Let's uh, find out what's going on here. Can we correct this in a natural way? And I've had plenty of athletes. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't think I had an athlete, a female athlete, who had a menstrual disorder um, uh, who was able to do what they needed to do to get healthy again, uh, not recover from that. So it's, it's something that um, is not difficult to recover from in a natural way I agree and um, it's just a matter of 
hey, do you want to do this or not? Yeah, it takes investment of time and, and trust initially to a team of practitioners and it's just about finding who they are and for people in, in the states I'm sure they can speak to you or you would be able to network with people that could help them and for anyone in Australia I'm happy to provide some resources and networks in that area as well you've touched yeah, on it's, a, it's, a, it's been it's been one of the frustrating things for me is you know who who can we refer this person to who's who's writing us about these problems yeah um and and i'm um um you know it's been an ongoing frustration and i'm finally getting to the point where i'm starting to now bring um health practitioners and coaches together so You'll be hearing more about that in the in the coming weeks. But, I have been hanging tight um, on that uh, it, that knowledge. <laughs> I can't yeah, wait. It's, it's, you know, I think I think we have to we have to say, hey, all of you health practitioners, um, do any of you follow uh, a healthy uh, and fit life, and do you treat your patients this way? And if so. You know, uh, come come join us. And hey, all of you coaches, uh, do you um, individualize and personalize your schedules? And are you uh, healthy yourself? And do you um, you know do you monitor uh, progress? And then hey, all of you athletes who need help, we're gonna hook you up if you're in San Francisco uh, or Sydney or wherever. Uh, you know, and you need some some face-to-face help you know we we can hook you up uh if you're looking for a coach online uh we can we can hook you up because we know that these people are conscientious about what they're doing and um we want to we want to have a a happy and healthy and fit life for everybody I know it's such a simple statement but it's a big one that will have a big impact so I I look forward to that message spreading wide and far and more coaches getting invested because I feel that's where it starts because coaches have a huge impact on athlete lives and it's becoming more and more common for athletes to seek the help of a coach and even if they are buying a template online that those templates utilize principles of say the math method for a balanced approach uh, uh-huh. to prevent overtraining hormone imbalance and everything we've we've discussed today uh, so in summary with that situation of uh, juniors or pros and amenorrhea or hormone imbalance and infertility to summarize that the first point of call would be to absolutely adopt the math method of, of training or low heart rate and i will link everyone to those resources that's the first point of call and then looking at some pathology testing if you if you're not testing you are absolutely guessing and as phil has attested it's so individual so let's not jump straight to a band-aid approach with medication let's find out the why and and go from there it can take a bit more time and a bit more diligence but long term you know the quality of life and even quality of performance um, and getting more out of yourself for longer is a is a real possibility Speaking of uh, getting more out of athletes for a longer period of time, niggles and pain are a big issue. So how does the MAF approach 
correlate to preventing and healing or rehabbing an injury? Well, one of the things that's very, very important I mentioned before, and that's building up the aerobic system. When you do that, the muscles work better. The muscles tend to stay balanced. When we do develop an imbalance, perhaps because of, uh, you know, a long run, uh, uh, we we tend to recover much faster when we have a good aerobic system. And again, when we're eating in a healthy way, uh, we can provide the body with the raw materials it needs to recover much better from a biochemical standpoint. Uh, recovery um, is very important. And we're, when we don't eat like we should, we don't recover as well because there's so much nutrition associated with with proper recovery. So, um, you know, that's that. It, it, it's all very much tied together. Yeah, direct correlation for sure. So with the the math method of establishing the correct heart rate for an athlete, I know you recommend uh, minusing five or ten beats as their aerobic threshold if they are injured. Speaking to other situations where that might occur, as we've discussed hormone imbalance, would you do the same for, say, an athlete that has started to have irregular cycles or a male might have a drop in libido or perhaps a female has polycystic ovaries or endometriosis? Do you apply the same concept in those situations? Uh, most definitely, because those, those problems are injuries. They are biochemical mm. injuries. We think of an injury as some physical thing, which it is, but when hormones are out of balance uh, and we develop a polycystic ovary, that's a, uh, that's a biochemical injury. When we have a, a menstrual irregularity, that's a biochemical injury. That is such a great way uh, to put it. Yeah. Yeah. And when we're depressed, that's a, a mental, emotional injury. Mm. Anxiety, very common in sports. It's a mental, emotional injury injury so when we're injured it means we can't work out as hard as we might normally do if we were not injured so therefore we have to reduce our level of intensity to allow the body to get more out of exercise and recover quicker until we um until we get healthy again then we can make some adjustments in that in that heart rate brilliant i love it and you have an app that helps people with this process of establishing what their maximal aerobic heart rate should be and perhaps what are their priorities in terms of lifestyle changes. So do you want to give people a bit of a background on the app and how it might be able to assist them? Sure. It's, it's called the Math app. And um, I, I wanted to it, – it's taken us a while to, to – uh, develop this thing because um, it, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> as always. <laughs> uh, I, I wanted something that would do what I did in my clinic when I was sitting in front of an athlete. And one of the, the primary things I did with these athletes was I talked to them. I asked them questions. How does this feel? How does that feel? Do you have a history of that? Um, and the questions and the answers drove the process further. Um, if you get a lot of 
uh, yes answers about certain questions, you start asking these questions in addition, and then those answers, you know, continue the process. And what the app does is just that. It asks you to start to um, answer a lot of questions, fill out these surveys that are categorized, um, systems-based uh, categories of, of signs and symptoms. Um, and then um, it goes on from there and it asks about uh, uh, your training and it, it, it will come up with a uh, training heart rate, an aerobic training heart rate for you, the MAF heart rate. Um, it'll give you some dietary recommendations based on the problems that you have. If you need to do the two-week test and get off carbohydrates, uh, uh, it'll help you do that. Um, and w we have pretty much finished. Um, we have the, the iPhone app. And the Android app is um, mostly finished, and it should be finished quite soon. So uh, check in with the website. You'll, you'll see when that's available. But the iOS, you can go to the App Store and, and, um, and download that. It's a free app. I find um, that summary sounds like essentially <clears throat> it's a mind map of your brain and your process put into an easily digestible functional app really uh it's like it's disseminated uh -huh. those key areas of your work and career uh when i did the surveys and utilized the app what i found most valuable was you, there's all these areas of health nutrition stress mood inflammation injury and aerobic function it, it can be hard to know where to start uh, for people and it can be very overwhelming. And what I liked was I got those key priorities of concern on which surveys or areas I scored poorly on that I needed to address first. Uh, of course, mine was, was stress and that really highlighted that before I bother doing anything else, this thing I know is always there that I always know I need to work on needs to be number one priority. So it was a beautiful reminder uh, to put it into to practical terms. And I would highly recommend uh, athletes check that out and coaches to utilize with their athletes as well. Yeah, coaches, um, actually coaches and health practitioners, mm. uh, if, you, if you have a coach or a health practitioner, you can you can go through the the assessment process and have the results sent to your doctors or to your therapist or to your uh, to your coach. Wonderful. And again, to help with that whole communication process. Yeah, which is always a big battle for people. So to wrap up, you have twenty books, correct? Uh, <laughs> to your name? I don't. I don't know about I, that. I, so what? I, when you get to 20, you don't have to keep track anymore. <laughs> I'll keep count for you. So of those okay. 20, if coaches were to pick out one that was going to give them the best tool and resource to help their athletes or practitioners, which one would you recommend? Well, that's easy. That would be the big book of endurance training and racing. Excellent. Um, and then if you're not a competitive athlete, um, the big book of health and fitness would be the best one that has more lifestyle uh, other lifestyle factors diet nutrition uh stress management and, th and things 
Um, there, I, I, I find that I get word about people buying some of my old books that apparently are still out there, and um, I, I won't run down the list. I don't even remember half of them, but uh, these two books are the most recent, and there, there's a, there's a couple that are more recent, but they're they're more offshoots to these two main books. So those are the 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 two books, and for endurance athletes, the the big yellow book, as it's called, is is the the best one. Perfect, brilliant, and just let listeners know where they can find you online. Filmaffetone.com is the health and fitness website. And um, uh, that that site will keep you pretty busy. It will, yeah. There's incredible information, and I'll link to some key articles that relate to the topics we've spoken about today. Thank you again for coming on the show. I'm truly honoured, and no doubt we'll have you again. And if listeners want to shoot us through some questions and if they're looking for some resources, we'd be happy to help. So thanks again, Phil. Thanks, Katie. It's been fun. Thank you. Bye.